Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, what's up? This is the Man Fuse podcast. I am Kay Lee, audio producer, your host, my real estate broker co-host, Ben H. In the house. Sitting right next to me. And we have a special guest in studio. So today on the Man Fuse podcast, we are going to talk to stuntman Nicholas Decay. Nick has over 151 movies under his belt. He's going to take us behind the scenes. We've all heard that Tom Cruise does most of his own stunts. But does he? We might just get an answer. My co-host, Ben H., thinks he can communicate with somebody on the astral plane. Is that even possible? He seems to think so. And our guest, stuntman Nick Decay, is going to go into detail how he found an ark that was built hundreds and hundreds of miles from land. Most of the time, when someone decides to build a boat, a huge boat, they do it near the water, right? And how he turned this find into a documentary that he directed and produced He weighs in on the tragedy that happened on the Rust set involving Alec Baldwin. He gives us insight on the industry standard of how they handle weapons, the armorer, and what corners might have been cut. I asked him right before the mics turned on, I said, I never even sent you a link to this podcast. And he responded, no, I have no idea your format. I have no idea anything about the podcast. So Nick Decay going on man me and nick have lots of history and when i hit nick up a week or so back when was the last time i spoke with you i don't know it's been a long time so i might have met nick when i was 19 20 years old Probably younger than that. At that point, there were lots of parties. You'd call them parties. Some people would call them raves, whatever you want to call it. But there was always something to do like every night of the week. A different warehouse, a different club. And I remember Nick and I, we hit it hard for, let's say, if my memory serves me right, a couple years maybe? Yeah, it was definitely a couple years. I mean, one time in particular, and this might be dating us because we're all in our 40s now. I can't believe I'm saying that. I just turned 45 yesterday. 45? Old balls like sitting DT? right here. Ancient. Old balls. Ancient. Yeah, I'm I didn't a fossil. Realize, I didn't okay. realize you were so old. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> I didn't realize you <laughs> we were so old. We don't need your abuse. Yeah. Yeah. Now right. I have to respect my elders. But there was yeah. a DJ called DJ Kiyoki, not Aoki. I love Kiyoki. Kiyoki. And he I remember going Sorry. to a party. I don't even remember where it was. It Soul. was... Soul Club, Club Soul on Spring was it Spring Street? No, no Peach Street. It was at uh, close to Peach Street and Ten. It's where Bulldogs, that gay bar, is. Yeah, somewhere around so in generally that, in that actually area. the high rise that our buddy Case lives in the Metropolis. That's the property that Club Soul used to be on. Yep, that sounds about right. Yeah, so we went to see DJ Kiyoki and ended up like going back to his penthouse at the Biltmore. I think it was that night. Yeah, that That's- sounds awesome. That sounds very plausible. We were doing a lot of drugs then. Oh, you were? Oh, yeah. A terrifying amount. A terrifying. terrifying. I mean, a horrific 
terrifying amount. And Kiyoki was on board? <laughs> yeah, I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, Kiyoki, Kiyoki was, played some wild stuff. He did. It was where, awesome. I mean, where is he today? Can someone Google a picture of Kiyoki oh, and God. find out what? He's not DJing anymore is that he? I know about. I don't know anything about him anymore. I mean. Back in the day, I mean, he was a headliner. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I remember getting into K-holes with him. Yeah. You know, doing a heroic dose of ketamine. Oh, my God. While uh, rolling on Molly or something sure. like that or press pills whatever we were doing back then indeed whatever kind of junk that was so over the years nick and i have remained friends on facebook and i think one time when i was hustling some real estate i went and i knocked on a, a property downtown was it around ponce Yep, we were on Ponce. So I knocked on this door, Ben, because I wanted to see who owned this property, and it was before all the Ponce redevelopment. And Nick answered the door, and he had an MMA gym over there. No way. This must have been 15 years ago. So it's probably crazy. kind of in the middle of when we were hanging out and where we are now. Well, Nick, ever since has been doing some pretty badass shit. Let me just tell you a little bit about my buddy Nick right here. So Nick is a multi-talented stuntman who's made a name for himself in the entertainment industry. Dang. Dude has over 150 films That's wild. under his belt. No way. He's been nominated for five awards, and you've won one of them, which was, uh, was that Cobra? No, which one did you win? Stranger Things and Black Panther. No Stranger way, Stranger Things That's and cool. Black Panther. Wakanda, right? Uh, the first Black Panther. The first Black Panther. Oh, that was before, um, what's his name, died? Correct. Did you ever get to meet him? Yeah. I um I actually worked with him on 42, the Jackie Robinson movie. I just watched that with my son the other day. Yeah. Because it, we I, had I'm the Jackie Robinson tournament. Don't tell me you were the one yelling the N-word over and over. Uh, <laughs> so if you remember when the Dodgers pull up to that hotel. Yes. And there's some goons. Yeah. Stopping them from going in. I was the goon. No way. Yeah. I, the, I watched that just, I'm talking hilarious. last yeah. weekend. Yeah. And I did not recognize you as a well, goon. you know, I was wearing a period costume but holy shit i met him on that and then you know I, we worked together on uh, panther because i did the casino fight and then right. that big car chase in korea went to korea into the car chase. how cool is and, that and now you got into stunts and i think you told me this so you were owning this mma gym you're an mma fighter too you're a badass right you karate mma jujitsu shit like that yeah i mean i wouldn't go so far as to say i'm a badass but well Okay, I compared get to me, he's a badass. Yeah. Well, you know, certainly compared to you. Most now that you're 45, is most bad. <laughs> he's 44, <laughs> but he knows how to fight. Yeah, um, exactly. But most badasses don't ever say they're a badass. The ones that that's, say that oh, I'm a fucking badass are normally the ones that. That's yeah. because they learn from real badasses. Because his opinion of the guy that's a badass is a real badass. Oh yeah, Where he's me, a badass compared to us. My mind be the janitor just cleaned up my explosive diarrhea. Mine is anybody that can just fight better than me oh ben you've served our country you've been in combat i've I been mean, in some fights yeah. i've never really lost a fight but i never fought a badass mma guy either i'm sure i would lose to a jujitsu fighter oh i'm sure a hundred percent yeah they know how to fucking dry hump you on the ground a hundred percent once they choke. get me on the ground i'm just gonna tap i'm not even waiting for it <laughs> you heard it here first ben is very vulnerable um so you said that you were just in the gym one day and someone came in and wanted to shoot something there is that how it all came to be 
be? Yeah, this guy, he was a movie producer, and uh, he comes in. He's like, hey, you know, I want to use your gym to shoot this sequence. And I was like, sure, man, you just got to put me in your movie. And he was like, well, do you know how to act? I'm like, no. He's like, well, what can you do? I'm like, I don't know. I can fight. I can shoot. I can do all kinds of shit. And uh, he was like, well, there's actually an assassin role in the movie. Um, I guess you could do it. And which movie is this? It was called The Drug Runner, and uh, it died in post-production, which is what most independent movies do. So they make it all the way to post, and then they fucking die? Is that because of funding? Correct. Yeah, this guy ran out of money. Uh, He did the whole thing on film. It was a beautiful movie. So I shot that and met some other stunt guys on that movie, and we chatted, and they were like, you should try to do this. And um, kind of banged my head against the wall for a few years and eventually started doing it for a living. That's pretty fucking badass. So how do you do stunt work for a living, for example? Is there a place you sign up? I mean, it's obviously who you know and who knows you. And it's about right? your work and previous work, your reputation, right? And so you like- build a body of work and then you market yourself to producers? So as a stunt performer, the people were, I guess, marketing ourselves to would be stunt coordinators. Okay, got it. It is very much a reputation-based business. There are some stunts where, worst case scenario, you kind of hurt yourself. But there are other stunts where, worst case scenario, you kill someone else. Really? Oh, yeah. If you're driving a car, you're in a 3,500-pound missile. And if you're driving it and sliding it up to a camera, there's people around. And if you miss your mark and you hit them, they're going to be disappointed. Does that happen often where people get hurt? Not terribly often, but it does happen from time to time. I mean, people have gotten hurt. People have lost their lives. It's serious work. That's cool, Um, man. That's like a dream job. Like when you're a kid, you know, that's the kind of thing. Like when I asked my son what he wants to be, he's like, I want to be a dirt bike rider or I want to be a baseball player. I want to be a race car driver. I mean, stunt man is like all of those things all in one. You get to do all that cool shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's cool, man. So, and I mean, now that you have 150 under your belt, I would imagine, is this something you have to go try out for? Or is it the type of thing where it's like, I've worked with him, my buddy's worked with him, I know I can, because they need to be able to count on you for that end result, ultimately, without being a prima donna or a pain in the ass, without being a dick to everybody else. You know, I'm sure you hear that shit on the set and where people get these bad reps. I would imagine as a stunt person, you want to be as chill and easy to work with as possible. Yeah, there's really no time for stuff. Stunt divas. Yeah, um, stunt divas. Have you met yeah. a stunt diva? Not many that work. Um, <laughs> you got to be pretty special to be able to be a real asshole and yeah. work as a stunt person. Meaning you have to be able to do shit that most people are not willing to do or be able to execute? Uh, you have to be either immensely talented or the only person in a demographic. Because, you know, we, we double a lot of actors. And if, if you're some really weird demographic that nobody else is in, you can kind of get away with being a dick. Like Pan Pacific Jewish? No, like a little <laughs> midget that's like, Maybe. like what's his name? Uh, Mini Me. Yeah. Like, how can you do- stunt double that? Yeah. 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 I mean, I've never met that guy's stunt double, but. Um, <laughs> He's a real asshole. But no, g- generally <laughs> speaking, most of the people that work are pretty cool. There's a pretty good filtering system in the stunt department to get rid of assholes. You know, you're going to eat a lot of humble pie. Because, you know, we do stupid shit. You know, you throw yourself down flights of stairs, you get hit by cars. You, right. I would think it'd be a pretty chilled out, humble group of guys, honestly. For the most part. Or people. I'm sure there's females as well. Oh, there's some amazing stunt women out there. Yeah. Now, yeah. dealing with the main actors, and you've been a double for Jason Bateman, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, you were one. Did you see Stranger Things 4, Ben? No. Okay, so there's a scene in there. What was the guy's name in the show? Eddie. Eddie. Spoiler alert. There's a scene in there where Nick 
fills in for him and is a stunt double for him. So, like, working with those actors, are they pretty cool, or you're going to get some that are assholes and some that are just, it, I guess that's kind of a It thing depends. I mean, there are some actors that are very, very cool. There are some actors that are complete assholes and everywhere in between. I mean, I guess it depends um, on the day also, because, you know, everyone has a bad day. Sure. You know, some of the guys are very professional. You know, they're not there to be your friend. They're there to do their job. I like those guys. I get along with them pretty well because I'm not looking to be buddy-buddy with them. And they're not looking to be buddy-buddy with me. They're looking to do their job, and I'm there to do my job. And that all works out. There are some that get really butt hurt about having a stunt double. Some people don't like that shit. You know, it, it hurts their manliness. Because it's not them doing it. Correct. And they might be physically capable of doing it, but the risk profile of the stunt doesn't allow them to do it. Insurance won't bomb the film if they do it. So they make me do it, and... Some of those guys get a little butt hurt about it. So that has to go. That's not even necessarily the directors. That's insurance. They have to clear all that shit through insurance and look at like weighing the options and like, okay, can we afford if the main character gets injured from this type thing? That goes into it. So the typically in pre-production of a movie, your stunt coordinator is going through all the stunts with the director, the cinematographer, the producers, and comes up with a plan for each and every stunt. And then that plan has to be presented to the insurance company. And some movies just have insurance, but some also have a completion bond where this insurance company is guaranteeing this movie will be finished. So if you have a completion bond, which most films do, that insurance company is going to look at a stunt like, say, a guy falling down a flight of steps, which I've never met an actor that wants to fall down steps. That seems um, like a rough one. It's, it's a shitty stunt. Yeah. I've done a bunch of them. Hey, Seems throw, like there's no hey, way it doesn't hey, hurt. throw yourself down this flight of I step. mean, is there any way it doesn't hurt? No, it always hurts. Yeah. Do you wear extra padding and shit? You wear what you can wear. <laughs> um, well, without being like... Correct. <laughs> like, you can't look like the Michelin man most of the time. Right. You um, can't be in a bubble and then, no, you know, I get no, They're not going to fix it in post. So generally speaking, they do this kind of risk analysis with the insurance company. And um, usually at that point, they'll say, okay, there's no way the actor can do this. We have to have a stunt double for this because they just don't want to risk it. Except if you're Tom Cruise. No comment. <laughs> Why? Now I'm <laughs> Is Tom, does he really do all of his own stunts like they he say? He does a lot of them, right? No, no. comment? Oh. Oh. <laughs> well, he, the way he portrays himself. There you go. He's portrayed as someone who does all of his own stunts. Okay, you don't have to Did answer. Did he fly the jets? I don't know if he flies the jets. I didn't work on. Does he do more stunts than the norm like i feel absolutely. like absolutely he is an incredibly physically talented man right okay that's yeah. what i thought i know he's uh, skydived and i mean yeah, like he'll do that stuff from what i understand but yeah i mean he can ride a motorcycle he can drive cars he can do fight sequences he's very talented but does he, he do as much as he shows off that he does okay so no comment I no, get comment. Yeah, no we'll comment we'll take the first word <laughs> along no. with the comment <laughs> yeah. We'll, yeah exactly <laughs> particular type of stunt that you like to do i love doing driving stunts they're always super fun you like bikes and cars that type yeah of. bike stunts i'm less excited about because usually they want you to crash them did you say um, diving driving driving sorry yeah Bike stunts are fun, but I don't really like crashing bikes on purpose if I can help it. Yeah. That would have been way cooler when I was 20. Yeah. But the car stunts, they're tons of fun. I bet. Hell yeah. I don't know if you ever saw Game Night with Jason Bateman. Yes. Movie. So all that Corvette stuff at the end, that was all practical. 
Like I was really went under a plane and did all the stuff. And really? Car. Yeah. That's cool, man. Yeah, it was badass. It was that, that the first incredible. time you'd ever done anything like that? I don't know how many people have ever driven under a plane, period. While yeah. the plane is rolling. Correct. Just in general. I don't know anyone else who's done it. I'm sure someone else has. It. What about Christmas That's vacation cool, when Chevy Chase goes under the tractor trailer? It's kind of the same gag. Right. Know? Similar yeah. guy, and they did it in Fast and Furious also. And you, you've been a part of those movies as well, right? I worked on seven and eight. Cool. Um, Is that one of the ones where they went to space? <laughs> I think it's ten. I, I got a friend. She's worked on a bunch of them. She would know. That's think, so cool. That seems like it would be right up your alley with the amount of car chase scenes in those movies. Yeah, they're fun. I didn't do any of the big car stuff on the Fast and Furious movies. I worked on first unit. All the badass shit was on second unit, but that was uh, on seven. I think they filmed in Ohio or something but i wasn't a part of it first to educate any of our listeners and our, me and i don't know if you know what first unit second unit what does that mean like the second unit is that always reserved for like more extreme or is it that doesn't really not necessarily typically first unit means the beautiful people are there the actors Mm. Ah. Um, and the first unit director. So that's the director that everyone hears about. That's first unit. Mm. And then uh, second unit typically is a stunt unit. It doesn't have to be. It could be filming anything, technically speaking. And that could have its own director. But it would have a second director. It has a second unit director. A lot of stunt coordinators become second unit directors. So um, on the Fast and Furious movies, I believe the second units are run by a guy named Spiro, who I've never worked for. I'd like to, but he's got a pretty tight group of people that he works with that he's worked with. Maybe. You like need to wait till one of them gets badly or injured or something, and then you could slide uh, in. <laughs> I, I think they're all drivers, so it's unlikely that that's going to happen. Right, yeah. right. Um, but in any event, sometimes second units do more extreme stuff. Usually, you know, the most common thing I would say on second unit, in my experience with them, is they just move a lot faster. So... Uh, a first unit might get 20 setups in a day, and a second unit might get 200. Wow. Um, when you say setups, like... Meaning where you put a camera. Oh, shit. You know, first, first unit moves at a glacially pace because they're waiting for the actor to have that perfect twinkle in their eye or whatever. Right. So they might, you know, on a big movie, I mean, you might be filming less than a page a day. So, and a page is roughly 60 seconds of screen time. Right. So you've got this 12-hour day dedicated to getting 45 seconds of movie. That's crazy, man. Uh, you imagine? I mean, like, that's something that I would never even think about. And I've been a part of some commercial, like, I've been on a couple of TV commercial things where I've had to sit. And you're right. You're just sitting there. I mean, it, the production, even for something low budget, like Swamp Murders, which I was on. And uh, I don't know if you ever heard of that show. It's like the ID discovery bullshit that, you know, they reenact, you know, murders, you know, shit. Nice. You're, you know, whatever. I mean, I was there for seven, eight, nine hours, you know, and it's for, I don't know, a minute, maybe, with yeah. me on it. It's crazy. That's so fucking cool, though. Yeah. So, like, out of your 150 movies or shows that you've been a part of, do you have one or two that are just stand out as, like, your absolute favorite besides flying or riding under the plane? That's probably that going to be fun. pretty epic. I was pretty stoked. I did. I was... Uh, the Johnny Lawrence stunt double on season one of Cobra Kai. And that was pretty cool because, you know, I was a huge Karate Kid fan as a kid. Hell yeah, this show's awesome. I love it. And I didn't yeah. think I'd get into it. And then I'm like, the way that they picked it up, I mean, it, it's that 80s, like 80s nostalgic. Yeah. It's like Stranger Things kind of. Yep. It's just like they get it all right pretty much as far as like 80s were a good ass time. They were fun. Like, 80s, were the 80s was a great time. You know, 80s and 90s, really, if you look at it. Yeah. The producers of that show, they're big nerds and they really love the source material. So I worked on it seasons one, two, and three. I haven't worked on it since. There was a management change in stunts and 
they decided to go elsewhere. We went a different way. So that one was fun. I liked working on Ozark because that was just a cool show. With Jason uh, Bateman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's a good show. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that one. I did a, that bicycle thing in the first season was fun where I rode the bicycle into the side of the truck. Oh, shit. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I remember that now. All right. Yeah, yeah, um, that was fun. And Jason's actually incredibly athletic. Is he? Yeah, super athletic. Jason Bateman does not like when you, he's like a child actor. Like you no, just would no. not think. He's almost the same in every show, every movie he's on. He's the yeah. same character pretty much. He's shockingly athletic. Really? Um, he rode that bicycle and skidded up to it like an 80s kid, you know, and he landed maybe an inch from the truck, so they were able to use almost all of him and just me hitting the truck. Wow. <laughs> um, now throw yourself into this truck. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised at how athletic he actually is. That's he's cool. a cool guy, right? I like him a lot. He's super professional. He's or- very organized when he's directing. I did a movie with him last year that's going to come out, I think, this year sometime. What is that called? Are you allowed to say? Carry on. Carry on. Carry on, my son. Yeah. Is that like a carry on a plane? Yep. Like a carry. Yeah. All right. I can't really give you any details about that. All the right. Plot, so, but- what are we carrying on a plane? Something, there's got to be. It's a got- mystery. Yeah. You have to wait. You'll find out when you see it. You got to have right. the protagonist. Something's going on. The drama's right. got to be yeah. in that carry on. That's fucking dope. Yeah. He's cool. I get along with him fine. Again, we're not buddies or anything, but it's a very professional relationship. That's cool, man. Have you ever been, and now you've got 151 films you've been a part of? Is there anybody that you would be star? Starstruck by getting to meet or hang out with or work with that you'd be like, oh, this is fucking amazing. Like, um, I mean, I, you've been in contact with so many out of 150 films, whether they be low budget or big budget, you know, or independent or whatever you want to call it. Is there anybody that you have been starstruck by or would be just by? Yeah. You know, I mean, I was pretty stoked when I met Tony Jaw on Fast. Seven. Tony Jaw's a badass. I thought that was cool just because I thought he was a badass. Um, is he? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, like... Yeah, he trained with me at my gym. Um, he's a freak of nature. Do you know who Tony Jaws, Ben? Not yet. He was like a Thai action star. Yeah, he's... Um, uh, what is it? Ungbok? Ungbok, Tom Young-Goon. Oh, yeah, Ungbok. Yeah, um, he breaks crazy. legs like... Oh, yeah, I know this guy. He's awesome. Yeah, he's yeah. like the Thai, like, Donnie Yen. Like, yeah. You like Donnie Yen? I like Donnie Yen. I've never worked with him. What um, do you think about Keanu Reeves? I met him once uh, when I was working out at a gym in L.A. that's owned by some stunt guys. And um, he seemed very polite. I thought the first John Wick movie was really freaking awesome. And obviously, I like Matrix. So Yeah, yeah I mean, you can't hate like on his work, you know? I mean, I mean, there are a lot of people who are like, oh, he's a shitty actor. Oh, no, whatever. But he's a wonderful His gun actor. skills and his fighting yeah. skills, I mean, he trains like he's good. Yeah. I think he's one of the best actors, man, personally. I, I like mean, him. And, yeah. you know, he went out to Terran Tactical to learn his little gun foo shit. Gun foo. And yeah. is that, um, what's the close combat fighting he does? It's like a mix of like jujitsu and um, what's the other one? Akita? Kido? I don't know. I know he did Brazilian jiu-jitsu out in LA for a while. Just some of those moves that he does in all four of the films, I know they're all choreographed, but you know, the way he takes people down, I mean, you still have to know how to do that shit. I think there's a fighting style that kind of lends to some of that. I don't know if it's a keto or I'm not I'd sure. I'd call it movie foo. Movie foo. I mean, movie yeah, because I mean, he does some basic judo shit in there. He does a lot judo. of BJJ. He does, he does a bunch of stuff. I know his stunt doubles from that movie and I, I know the fight guys in that movie they're all super talented and right so you, you like know. john wick one but second uh, have you the, seen the, the fourth yet i haven't seen the fourth yet i know i'm the stunt guy and i'm supposed to just like like long action sequences but i actually i like the not action sequences more than i like action sequences uh-huh. when i watch a movie yeah 
Um, gotcha. Is that because you pick it apart? I mean, I, I'm sure that the action sequences in the newest movie are technically flawless. Right. You know, I've worked with Chad, who's the director of that movie. He's extraordinarily talented. It's unlikely there's any technical issues with any of his fights. But you know um, how the sausage is made. I do know how the sausage is made. <laughs> I mean, I'm a movie dork, but I like all the acting shit. Yeah. You know, I, I like the story stuff. I like action sequences, but I like it when it's a more of a punctuation mark so, on a scene rather than the scene. On the action sequences, I've always wondered... Some of them are just horrible and you're like, okay, you know, this is obviously not a real fight. But sometimes it's like, is that a real fight? So I guess my question is, are there times when it's like, no, let's just go for it. Let's just beat the shit out of each other. Don't punch me in the nose, but let's really fight. I've had one actor, and I'm not going to say his name, because, but he is a very famous for being a tough guy. Yeah. Um, it's not Steven Seagal, is it? <laughs> no, no, no. no. This is, it's but, Tate. <laughs> it's not Steven Seagal. I've never worked with him, and I have no intention of ever working with yeah. him. Yeah. But um, no, this, this guy's a, a fine guy, so I'm not going to call him out cool. but um you know and i had choreographed this fight sequence that he and i were going to have and i knew he wanted to do tie boxing in it so i told him you know where we're gonna clinch and we'll exchange some knees and then he would sweep me and he's like well you know i think we should just really clinch and then i'll just throw you when i want to throw you and i was like i think we should do the choreography <laughs> and he's like no no no, i'll just throw you when i want to throw you i'm like all right so you want to just really clinch and just go for it and then you're just gonna throw me at some point he said yeah yeah yeah, yeah. all right man so take one i put it on his ass <laughs> You know, I started nice. putting his chin down towards his belly button uh, and I waited till I saw the fear in his eyes and then I just chucked myself on the ground. And then after that, he came up. He's like, you really know how to do Muay Thai, don't you? I was like, yeah, man, I actually fought in Thailand. And he was like, oh. <laughs> he's like, all right, well, we'll do the choreography. <laughs> Let's do the choreography. Let's just do that. Yeah. <laughs> and he was cool after that. He was great. Yeah. Um, but that's the only time I've ever had an actor be like, no, we should really just do this. Because usually they're very concerned about their safety. So talk like, about safety. I mean, what was that like? Like fighting real Muay Thai in Thailand. I mean, that's not acting. And how badass is Thailand? I mean, that's where I went on my honeymoon. People are getting their ass kicked for it. real, right? Uh, I mean, it, guys in Thailand are no tougher than guys anywhere else. Yeah. I mean, people are people. It's um, funny, though, the way, not to interrupt you, the way they market fights in Thailand is like cock fights. No, you'll be on the street and this truck comes by. They got a horn on it and they're on their CB and they're like, oh, come on to the fight. And they got pictures of the fighters and then the fighters. Know hop out and start sparring in the street no with like way. Their as a promo. That's have crazy. You, did you see that shit? I, I actually have one of the billboards that they put on one of those trucks for me at my house. Oh, shut I, up. You know, Chris I, has a tuk-tuk. I'm sorry. I you have know, Kay Lee has a tuk-tuk. Nice. I converted it to electric. It's gangster. It is nice. straight from Thailand. Yeah, well, so it's we got were, the serial number and everything. <laughs> I had a fight in um, Phuket and uh, one of my buddies, he's this French guy um, that was at our gym. He got drunk and climbed up and stole the billboard with my face on it and wrote, we rolled it up and I took it home. Oh, that's I cool. My house. So you have the one of your own fight. Yeah, it's me looking all stupid. That's cool. Did you win? I did win. You did? Hell yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, some of those guys, I always think back to like, was it blood sport or whatever? That's what I'm saying. I feel like yeah. there's no rules when you go to Thailand. No, 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 there's plenty of rules. You know? Um, Which is like, the one that's where when you die like, in the ring. Was it blood sport was the Thai like one? Jean-Claude no, Van Damme. Was, um, kickboxer. Kickboxer. Where he fought Tung Po, which I, th I believe is a white guy that they just put Asian guy Shut your him. mouth. That's that was a white? I think he's like from Italy or something. That's like, That has to be like blackface of oh, like Thai people. Yeah, he'd be like, canceled Like he just painted now. somebody up yeah, to like. Yeah, right now, Twitter 
daughter would murder him. Yeah, right? <laughs> oh, my God. But, so, like, did you like Thailand as a whole being I out there? I absolutely loved it. I've been a bunch of times. Have you? Um, yeah, I've spent probably over a year of my life total there. That's it's cool. awesome. I fucking love Thailand. Yeah, it's, it's cool. so cheap once you get Never there. Never been. Yeah, it's great. I, I want to so, go back. It's so sick. Where should I go? Where should I, mean, I take my everywhere. wife? Everywhere. Go all over. I, I mean, just go there for, like, six weeks and just <laughs> spend, like, a week in Bangkok, then go to, like, Chiang Mai, go down to Krabi, go to Phuket. That's yeah, cool. Go to Koh Samui if you go to, like, the yeah. islands, like, where the beach was yeah, filmed like, or any of those uh, little islands. Yeah, PP Island, I think, is where the beach was filmed. Well, that's and cool. That, I went to the uh, full moon party out there. Oh, you went in, like, Samoy? No Yeah, you way. took a boat. Well, we stayed five days on the island of Koh Samui, which isn't far, and you take a boat to wherever the full moon party is, yep. which is really funny because it's, like, a Panama City spring break, like, type deal. Like, everyone's trying to sell you everything. All the alcohols, like, they give you a bucket with, like, a couple <laughs> Red Bulls and some, like, vodka. They're doing, like, fire, you know, stuff on the beach. And the That's beach crazy. gets so packed that you can barely walk. And you've got people probably rolling their balls off, like, fucking in the water. And there's a right next to them just peeing, oh, like, in the God. water while they're, like, yeah. fucking, uh, like, oh. yeah, yeah, those full moon parties are special. Yeah, they are. Uh, it's, it's not my favorite part of Thailand. No, not at all. But it was still fun. You got to I, I like the, as the Thais would say, sabai sabai, which yeah. means relax, relax. I like that too. Yeah, I was yeah. really chilling. I'm in it for the chill. I spent a lot of time down in Costa Rica for that. Yeah, I go down there and just like completely unplug, man. Just yeah, go out in the Costa jungle. Rica. And I got a buddy that's got like 20 acres in the jungle. And I just go out there and he's got a little casita. We stay at the casita. They cook for us and we just hang out in the forest, man. Take some ayahuasca. Yeah, a little a little silo, a little whatever. But I've yeah, never we just done drugs there. What's that? I've actually never done drugs in a foreign country, but I definitely didn't do drugs in Costa Rica when I was there. Well, I've been on like for the past five years, just kind of like a path of just healing just trying to heal myself from a lot of trauma and stuff in my life. And it's led me to plant medicine, which led me to these people in Costa Rica with their land and stuff like that. And I never have felt so, 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 so relaxed and detached from everything that I need to be detached from. And it's just an amazing thing. I'm way too paranoid. All the felonies that I haven't been indicted for are all right here in America. Yeah. yeah. Cause you know, if, if I'm going to go to jail, I want to go to jail here. Yeah. Like I don't know if I could do, you know, a hallucinogenic that I'm stuck with for, you know, eight, 10 hours in a country where I just be like, if I'm caught, I'm going to go to third world country jail. Yeah. Particularly if we're talking about that, the AYA is actually legal there. Oh. So it's, it's not an illegal substance there. Number one, number two, Two, I mean, you've probably driven through Piedra Negro. Uh, you probably drove through there. It's a big Enduro pass-through. You understand what I mean when I say deep in the Costa Rican jungle. Oh, yeah. No, I, I've This is out there. Costa Rica, I know. Hour and a half west of San Jose, way out in the jungle on the side of a mountain where I don't see a road or a car for 10 days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I understand what you mean, though, but this is a little more chill. But regardless, I hear what you mean on the relaxing thing. That's what it's all about, man. Just detach. That's what I did when I went to Costa Rica, and it was fucking amazing. I loved it. All right, Ben, so detail how you are communicating with your buddy in Costa Rica. Josue and I had a conversation on the astral plane. 
last week. Oh, yeah? Unbelievable. I was out on my boat with my wife and my son last week on Thursday. Okay, it was it was warm last Thursday. It was like 85 oh, yeah. degrees. And we went out. I've got a boat on Lake Lanier. And we'll go out with my boys five years old. And we go out to the island. And, you know, we'll park and we'll run around on the beach and stuff. And I was telling my wife, I was like, you know, I really miss Josue. I really want to talk to him. There's just some things I want to talk to him about. And i just really been missing him today. You know, he was just on my heart and he was on my mind. And we communicate through WhatsApp. And Friday morning, I woke up to a WhatsApp from Josue, and I'll play it for you. You want to hear it? Uh, Sure. So this was the morning after I told my wife, I'm just kind of going through some stuff right now that I feel like I need to share with Josue. I really miss him. The next morning, I woke up to this. We are in the Caribbean in a retreat with 18 people. Last night, we have ceremony. After the ceremony, I went to sleep, and I wake up today dreaming about you. It was a very strong dream, brother. In general, I don't remember fully but in general you was i will not say not good but you was into a transition it felt like you was moved and you came and there was like something going on with you with your family with your life but and you was kind of considering you know whole approach that you have to life considering how to uh, what's the path and the decisions that you're taking and about your lifestyle about you know all what you do and and we went into a conversation in the dream where the conversation was going into, hey, maybe you are putting too much energy into a lifestyle that demands you a lot of focus into the material realm and maybe to have more of a simple approach to life. It will be the, the path that will help you. But you was as well into seeing that, but not really into letting go the decisions and the path that you're walking. So it was interesting that you came like that to me in the dream. So just, you know, letting you know what what it happened there in the astral world. We've all experienced where you think about somebody you haven't thought about or seen in yeah. probably, you know, five, ten years, and then all of a sudden, the next week or the next day, that person somehow pops up. It's, but that was weird. That's way weird. That's almost as weird. That was crazy. And I'm not sure if I I mean, told- the timestamps here, too. I mean, it's like, it was the next day. And one thing I will say about these plant medicines is that they expose you to higher levels of consciousness or different dimensions than you're capable of experiencing at your resting vibration. It increases the vibration of your frequency brings you into higher elevations and so i think that once your body and your soul has kind of taken that path to there maybe you have access to that through in your sleep rhythms or something like that i don't know but there's definitely something there fuck yeah i mean like and i don't know if i've told this story on the podcast but it reminds me of like and i was actually telling my son this yesterday because he was talking about some of the dreams he's had my son's 10 years old and he's like and he was telling me about these crazy dreams and how the next day something happened i'm like well yeah I was trying to explain to him, well, you know, the chances of you having a dream about chicken and the next day eating chicken right. is not really like far out of the realm. Of, right. But like, and I told him this story and not that I was like diminishing anything of what he was saying. I was just like what you just yeah. played, how you were thinking about this person. You really wanted to talk to him. And the next morning, boom. It the was weird like, thing about it is that's what I wanted to talk to him about. That's crazy. That's literally what I wanted to talk to him about because those are the kinds of things that I talk 
talk to him about because when I go to his place, we're in the middle of the jungle. There's no cars. There's no jewelry. There's no money. There's no nothing. There's the land, the jungle, and that's it. It's all they have. And I told my wife, I was like, this is such a different kind of wealth. And it's exposure to a really simple life where I see the kind of happiness and the kind of gratitude and the kind of love that they share just in the little time that I'm there. And I'm just like, we are fucking up. We are really fucking up because we're all, yeah, we have the beautiful house and the beautiful this and the beautiful that. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that there is. I I love my life. But I go and I see that and I'm like, so simple. And so since I've had that experience, it's like there's this massive contrast within me where I'm like, I only have so many years to spend with my son. I only have so many years of my life to spend with my wife and even myself. Am I doing it the right way? And so I'm constantly battling this. And I was just kind of in a mode and I was telling my wife, I was like, guys, really need to talk to Hostway about that. I think we all are battling it in some sense. I mean, we're all, you know, you do what you love and I'm sure you do what you love, Nick. I mean, but at the same time, and I'm kind of doing what I love, but I mean, if we all had the choice and money was off the table, would we be doing what we're doing if we didn't need money? We probably wouldn't be showing up to production meeting. I mean, I don't know. I love working with the Burt Show, but would I be getting up at 3 a.m.? And I don't even have a long day as far as the amount of hours I work on a daily here anyway. But no, I wouldn't be. But money, you know, got to pay the bills. Got to keep moving forward. Well, Nick would still be a stunt devil. I would not be a stuntman. No? Uh, no, I would, I would direct my own movies. Yeah. The story that I was telling my son, just getting back to it, was when I was dating this girl, my girlfriend of five years, probably about the time that you and I were hanging out, Nick, off and on, and I remember having this vivid-ass dream, and it was crazy because the kid's house I was dreaming about backed up to this, like, pond, and now he's in jail for shooting at a cop, a fucking oh idiot. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. Don't, don't get me started on some meth-rolled fucking psychotic episode where he thought shooting at police would be great out of his trailer. Anyway, but the dream was about his house. It's not Brian, is it? Which Brian? The guy you're talking about who shot up the place. Brian Ullman? No, it's a different I know a different Brian that shot at a cop on meth. Ooh, Brian who? What's his last name? It starts with a G. I don't want to call him out. I don't know if he's in jail still. I don't want him coming after you on a meth fuel. No. So uh, we had this dream that this house was being surrounded by fucking alligators. I'm not even joking. Like, they just kept coming in and coming in. And I woke up the next day, and, you know, some dreams you remember, some you don't. But I remember, like, rolling over and telling my girlfriend at the time, I'm like, this fucking dream I had was so fucking vivid. I mean, like, it was clear as day whose house I was at, and it was scary. And she's looking at me like, okay, what the fuck ever. That day, I didn't have to be at Psycho Tattoo. We didn't open till noon. Out of the eight years I worked at Psycho Tattoo, that day, a fucking truck pulls up. This gets out to come and get a tattoo. On the side of his truck, it says the alligator man. No way. And he's got two eight-foot alligators in the back of his truck and a six-foot one in a cage that he pulled out, and I got to hold. The next day. The next day, and I got a fucking picture of it framed. I called my girlfriend at the time. I'm like, you would never fucking believe what I'm (laughs) holding right now. You knew the alligators were coming. I mean, out of eight years of me working there, an alligator man never pulled up. Ever. No, that's not a normal occurrence. Like, I don't know what that means. Probably means nothing. A big fucking coincidence. But that's crazy. You start thinking, man, am I on a different plane here? Yeah. Like, wh- how do you explain that? That's different than, hey, I dreamed I was eating chicken. And then, oh, oh behold, here's chicken, you know? But um, getting back, I mean, that's awesome, Ben. I mean, that's, I don't know if you take that as a sign or uh, it's just fucking, that's sick. Put it you this guys, way. 
way. Sir. I'm going to see host way soon. Okay. You know. Very nice. Yeah. You guys. Yeah. If you would have played the audio, it'd be like, Ben, I love you and miss you and I thinking about you yeah <laughs> thinking about those times yeah yeah back in the day <laughs> anyway, in the jungle yeah all that time in the jungle <laughs> we where were you alone. were tarzan <laughs> and i was jane or maybe i was jane and you were tarzan we switched roles <laughs> <laughs> you need to be flexible yeah yeah that's right absolutely all this right, now mine. you be Jane. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and now it's my turn to swing from the branches. So a couple months ago, um, getting back to you, Nick, and your directing. So you posted something on Facebook that I guess it was the launch of this documentary that you had just got through shooting, and it was called The Ark of Lilburn. And I remember actually sending you a message. This is before I even thought to have you on. And I was like, congrats. I hadn't watched it yet. And I saw, I was like, man, that's pretty fucking cool. And I just kind of read the description of it. But it was like two weeks ago, I decided, I was like, you know what, I'm going to rent it. And I was like, man, I need to probably get with you and, you know, catch back up. And I watched it, and I was like, that's fucking crazy. So just to paint the scene here. The Ark of Lilburn takes place in, I guess, is that a city in Georgia? It's not the county, right? Lilburn's the city? Yeah, Lilburn is where Stone Mountain is. Stone Mountain, Lilburn, Georgia. And it's about this guy who owns a metal manufacturer. He's a manufacturer. They do metal? Uh, uh, steel. Structural steel. Structural steel. Yeah. And I guess this guy had a midlife crisis and decided to build a giant boat in his warehouse. So tell me how you even came upon this, because this is crazy. Like, most people build boats close to the water, right. I would imagine. And in a way, if you were going to build one, one that you would probably be able to get out of your building that you're building it in. So paint the scene of how you even stumbled upon Noah's Ark. So the, the arc of Lilburn. So um, during the pandemic, the entire film industry shut down. All of our unions said, you can't work. I'm in the Screen Actors Guild, and they were like, you can't work. So All production shows. Every show. Like, I was on a couple shows. Like, I was on Red Notice right before. And like literally, With The Rock, right? And yeah. Ryan Reynolds. So I wrapped out on a Friday. I'm supposed to start up on a movie with Stallone the next day driving. And I get a call. Hey, uh, uh, we're not working the pandemic thingy. And then I'm supposed to start on Stranger Things that coming Monday. And they're like, hey. Uh, Stranger Things is not happening either. Pandemic. So I'm sitting around doing nothing. So I, I've been writing for years. So I write a uh, screenplay because I'm bored out of my mind about um, what if the United States goes to war with China and an AI negotiates a truce and then creates a new world government where everybody has a social credit score and where it's a little social credit watch. Kind of like the Sesame credit score thing that they have in China. And I based it off that system. So I wrote it and I started pitching it to um, studios and they were all like, absolutely not. <laughs> Jeez. Like, hard no. Why hard no? Just because of the it's war. It's like the Black China. Mirror. I don't know. It's similar to the nosedive episode yeah. of Black Mirror, which I saw after I wrote it, but doesn't have much other than just social credit. Well, um, I mean, it really seems that things are going in that direction. Oh, 100%. I mean, unfortunately, America's turned into a bunch of pussies and China seems to be coming through. So, I don't know what the so fuck's wrong with If you want to know what the Man country. Fuse podcast is all about, it's about what Ben just said. We, yeah. we just fucking oh, no. say it the way we see it and that's about it. But well, it's I, true. I mean, what the fuck is wrong with everybody here in America right now? It is absolutely ridiculous. It is. And you're right. Some shit like that is going to fucking happen. Sure. Because everybody's so... Yeah, like in the story, I have it where there's no currency anymore. It's a combination of social credit and carbon... Your carbon credits for the day. Yeah. So you have to stay carbon neutral. Right. You rank you. Yeah. Isn't that what we were talking about? The shit is coming. Like for you to like take a trip to go from here to drive to here to San Francisco. You got to buy the carbon credits. Correct. Yeah. That's the story is kind of about that. And it's... Uh, 
I want to see your movie. <laughs> I'm ready. Well, no, nobody will bankroll it. I've been trying to get money for it since. How much know, do you need? A few million. Like two million? I mean, that would be less than I'd like. I'd like more. Three? Uh, probably more like seven or eight. So seven or eight million, and how much is it going to make? Well, there's a program called Largo AI that we actually yeah. use to um, my partner, Jay Tyroff, and I, who he did Ark of Lilburn with me. And um, it says the best case scenario is it'll do 50 million in the box office. Yeah. Yeah, and that's pretty solid. George has got a pretty good tax credit. We'd package it with minimum guarantees. We just got to find somebody who wants to give us money. For Can you make that, twenty million? I mean, the low end projections are better than twenty million in the box office. Is that right? Yeah, it's just it doesn't fit the Hollywood narrative, so it's hard to get funding for it. Yeah, the Hollywood narrative. We've talked about that a million times. We don't like the N word. Normal no. narrative. Narrative yeah. or normal. So, in any event, we were out there just kind of shooting some proof of concept stuff for that. So you had like a, a B roll or something for yeah, that, we did, or just did some stuff for it. And we, Sounds and, cool, man. And we get to the steel because we wanted this kind of dilapidated building because in this world that I created, there's basically you have like verified people, which are like your elites. Like a Twitter check. Like a Twitter blue check person before Elon took over. Yeah. Thank God for Elon. Okay. The anointed class. Right, of course. And then there's like a yeah, pet. Fuck them. The paupers. Like <laughs> and then there's like a middle class group of people. And then there's a, a low end group of people. And then below that you have um, anti-raiders, people who refuse to be raided. And they mm. like live out and fly over country. And I think I know which group I'm following into um, i'd be an anti-raider and like fuck you and your rate yeah you my but, truck but basically like the opening sequence of this movie is you see this news report of these anti-raiders like rioting and they're blowing up a grocery store and then oh, as it pans off the camera we see it in real world and we see the little news reporter there talking about it but they're actually all there just saying like food is a human right and then the police come and just kick the shit out of them and kill them all wow and then it goes back and what people are seeing right is this complete fake thing and it was based off kind of emerging ai deep fake technology and stuff like that Dang. but you know but when that's your opening sequence of a movie and you know and you send it off to your buddies who green light movies at disney they're like <laughs> no yeah what did i just see here you're the funniest guy on the face yeah, we, of the planet we, yeah we'd way rather do pedophile type shit than that well not getting into all that <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, they don't have to be biological boobs right yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so anyways we get to this steel factory and cole who's the son of Lowe, the guy who uh, founded the company he's like oh you got to check out our boat and i'm like yeah, yeah, yeah whatever all right looking around. so you were asking him to film there yeah i wanted to film there but I, you know he's saying a boat the whole time he keeps saying a boat so i'm imagining like you know a boston whaler like a 29 foot and i'm like why do i want to see your stupid boat right you know we're looking around and i kind of figure out where i want my shots and yeah and he's like just come check out the boat is this yeah. in a different part of the warehouse? Yeah. He's got this kind of sprawling place. Cool. So we get into this room, and this thing's like 26 feet tall, what? 18 feet wide, and 55 feet long. Oh, my god! all made out of steel. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? That's crazy. And it's like, a fucking ark. Yeah, it's a giant boat. But the thing is, and I'm looking around the building, I'm like, there's no way to get it out. And he's like, yeah, my dad built this, and then the company kept expanding around it. Uh, so they right. built buildings around this thing. And I'm like, well, how the fuck? you gonna get out he's like well i think we might have to cut the roof off the building and get a crane and pull it out and i'm like well how much how big is this thing he's like i don't know it's like a hundred thousand plus pounds in steel i'm like good looking boat though and it badass it's a beautiful boat oh yeah his dad's a real craftsman um, <laughs> i mean beautiful boat. and it had been sitting there for 
15 years? Yeah, I think they stopped construction on it during the uh, 2008 recession. It's right, a trawler. Right. Yeah, it's a uh, Alaskan trawler. It's got a yeah. 4,500-mile nautical range. This thing's awesome. It's badass. It's, it's worth a fuckload of money, uh, right? It's got to be. I mean, the interior's got uh, all this mahogany in it. The yeah. guy who built the interior of this boat did the uh, mahogany interior for Bill Gates' house. And he said they wow. clear-cut an entire jungle in Brazil for Bill Gates' mahogany. Wow. Oh, because, my God. Because I guess mahogany. Mahogany, you have to get it all from the same forest. Otherwise, it's not going to match or look the match. same. So in order for Bill Gates to have his awesome house, according to this guy who did the mahogany on this boat, they had to clear cut an entire rainforest swarm. That's insane. Oh, great, Bill. So you're so worried about climate, and yet yeah. we're clear cutting the whole so fucking rainforest. So worried about vaccinating people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Did you see that interview where that lady was hardlining Bill Gates? Uh -uh. And yeah, she was like, so what is it that you have done? for humanity anyways well i took out a rainforest and he so was like well rich I, mahogany no no he was like well i don't know if you've heard but i built the most successful software company in the world it's called microsoft and she said yeah but you didn't actually create that software as a matter of fact you stole it from this guy didn't pay him much money for it and then you created microsoft with the technology that you stole from isn't him. that the story of mcdonald's <laughs> Ray Kroger? and he said well you know it's a, there's a lot more to it than that you know you scale the software company and she's like moving on tell me about <laughs> what are your qualifications what kind of medical degrees do you have and he was like well i don't have any medical degrees and she's like but you're a big proponent of vaccinations and vaccines are you not and he was like well yes i think that vaccines are necessary to blah 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 and she's like but you really don't know, do you? So is this just kind of a continual thing where you take technology, you steal technology from other people, and then you force it on the world? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, busted his ass. My it was God. a great interview. She, he was like, who set me up with this yeah, fucking yeah. interview? <laughs> yeah. So this thing is insane. I mean, yeah. and it has its engine. Does it have the engine in it? Yeah, it has a big Deutz diesel engine in it. Jeez. I met all the guys who built this boat, like, mahogany guy who alleges that bill gates cut down a rainforest which i like the idea that it happened i hope it happened just because i like the idea of billionaires being assholes yeah that's how you would expect them to be exactly except I, warren buffett i don't know I'm, I'm all about my class warfare and since i'm never going to be a billionaire i can continually hope that eventually we'll put them all against the wall there you <laughs> go. anyway <laughs> Yeah, so we met all these really wild characters that built this boat. You know, eventually, uh, Cole convinced his dad to move this damn thing. So then we started getting ready for the preparations of moving this boat, and they called this guy Pat. Modern movers. Right. And, um, I remember that. Yeah. and Ponytail. Lo well, that's what Lowe called him. Lowe called him Ponytail. Right. But he was this Florida man with a ponytail. House mover. House mover. Knows how to do it. No, Says he knows how to dude, do it. I loved Pat. I thought Pat was hilarious. Yeah. He was funny. There is an entire sequence that didn't make the cut of the movie where we took him out to Bambinelli's in um, Lilburn and we just interviewed him and just let him and his wife and his buddy chat. And he literally predicted everything that has happened since Joe Biden's been elected. He's like, gas is going to hit this price on this day. Inflation's going to do this. <laughs> like, like he's over here being the uh, Nostradamus. Yeah. <laughs> And then he said how he was at January 6th at the Capitol, but he didn't go in because he forgot his tactical vest. Yeah. <laughs> the guy forgot my tactical vest, and I had to pee, so I left. <laughs> Lucky guy. And I, like, I don't know if the guy's fucking with me or not. He's just really funny. Yeah. Um, and, he, and he's... He's probably not fucking with you. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I found him really funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's he's, awesome. Um, you've seen the movie. Yeah. So, I mean... I tried to be as fair with him as possible. It would have been easy to lampoon him. Yeah. I, I tried well, you could have been a lot harder on him than you were. Oh, God. Yeah. 
<laughs> but n- needless to say, without I'm not spoiling anything. Yeah, so he, he is a character. So where did the boat end up? Where is it now? It's in Venor, Tennessee. Because it's too heavy to go over most bridges, too tall to go under most bridges, <laughs> and they wouldn't allow it on an interstate highway because it's like two lanes wide. I mean, there's all these like rules. Wow. Yeah, the amount of logistics. So it couldn't just go to Lake Lanier. Oh God, no, no, no. It's way too big. No, the amount of logistics, which I never even thought of. Like, okay, first off, you got to get the thing out. You're going to cut the front off of the building or whatever. How are you going to get it out? But then to realize of all the DOT and all the people that you have to contact along the way. Oh, yeah. Because it won't fit under bridges. It won't fit under stoplights. You need it won't, a permit or oh, power line moved oh, they, they, across they, a railroad, right? Yeah, oh, like, yeah. There was power line guys lifting all the lines, and there was all kinds of shit. That's crazy, yeah, man. I mean, it's like a whole, like, it takes an entourage. Yeah, it was a production. So how much did it cost to move it from here to Tennessee? Uh, a six-figure sum. I don't know exactly like what it costs. Mid six figure. I mean, certainly enough to go buy a brand new nine eleven. Yeah. If, if, you know, if you're into that sort of thing. I am. I get it. Yeah. Well, wasn't the so, first quote from uh, Ponytail? Wasn't it like seventy five or eighty k or something like that? Was yeah, that like? I, I think it was something like that. But then the price kept going up as the adventure continued. The yeah. Price yeah. Accelerated. Yeah. Um, as, That's as funny. Is it being driven yet? No, it's in dry dock still. There was some hope that uh, perhaps somebody would want to film. The the trip down the Tennessee River and um, where to try to get it to the ocean. Yeah, it's still actually never been driven. Jeez, so, you know they put this motor in there in like 2000 whatever. Right, it's never been turned over. Wow. So there's still a lot of speculation as to how seaworthy this thing is. Yeah, which is um, not something that you want to speculate on in the ocean. No, yeah, because um, they basically had two options or three options: Venor, Mobile, or Savannah. And Venor ended up being the cheapest. Interesting. Because getting it the other ways, it was like other DOT permits, which were going to like involve like helicopters and dumb shit. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's crazy. So you were like, after you saw it, okay, this could be fun. Yeah. And we weren't doing anything because of the film industry being shut down. Right. So it was really kind of a traffic was low. No, I mean, just because the film industry isn't filming doesn't mean the rest of the world isn't. Yeah, that's true. I I was still working. Yeah, I didn't stop. Yeah. You know, if we were in California, maybe there wouldn't have been traffic, but plenty of traffic. So is your goal now? And I I found it fascinating. Great job with it. So I think it's a cool piece to have in your portfolio under your director's belt. Are you getting any like great feedback from it? Like, is it? Yeah, we don't have a studio behind it. Is that something Netflix would pick up? Or maybe we'll see. I mean, you can watch it on Amazon and a bunch mm. of other stuff. Now. I think that's where I watch it. But, um, Prime. Yeah, getting those licensing deals is tough. You'd think as a stunt guy, you'd be like, oh, you're a Hollywood insider. It's like, no, no, no. They treat me like any other piece of shit out there. Yeah, the stunt department, we're a peasant class. <laughs> we're expendable. Quite literally. Quite literally. <laughs> if he dies, he dies. That's it. I mean, they're not quite. I mean, anyway. <laughs> I wasn't being like literal. So, like, Regarding the stunt thing, I had a question about the insurance. Do you have the opportunity to have health insurance? The only way that I could get health insurance is through my union. And Got it. Fortunately, SAG has pretty good insurance. That's cool. But I doubt I would be insurable if it wasn't through. Through the guild. Yeah. Yeah. Guild. So how guild, many, whatever how it is. fucked up have you gotten? Like, do you have a count on how much shit you've broken? And do you wake up like a wrestler every day? Like your body just aches? Oh, yeah, I wake up like shit. But what's funny is, is most of my injuries are actually from motorcycle racing. Yeah. Well, you know, I've got bad shoulders from Brazilian jiu-jitsu and just being stupid about tapping. And a bad ankle from getting it popped in a jiu-jitsu tournament. 
<laughs> Jiu-Jitsu is um, hardcore. But, like, my worst stuff is from, like, racing dirt bikes and, you know, blowing out my ACL and shit like that. Yeah. Most of the stuff on set. It's kind of controlled. Yeah, it's 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 less, hey, let's, let's send it. Let's see what we can do. And it's more dialed in. So. Yeah. My worst injuries are from my own stupid, not not at work. That makes sense. So stunt devil's kind of like a scaled back version of your real life. <laughs> uh, it's, it's certainly a more, it's a better thought out version of my real life. Yeah, that's the right guy for a stunt devil. You know, I mean, you're out there doing stuff that's beyond what you're going to do in the stunt devil room. Yeah, so, like, oh shit, this is what you want me to do? You know, real estate guy like me put me in the stunt devil room. I'm probably going to get hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Typically speaking, on camera, you don't want to be doing anything that's like past kind of 80% of your skill threshold. Right. When the camera goes action, yeah. a lot of people have gotten really hurt. I can see that. Yeah. Um, That'd be me. I'd be like, action. Well, well, well they get excited. <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. Uh, <laughs> that happens a lot. I mean, there's been some really horrible accidents. <laughs> right? Like, what the f- is he thinking? Because you're trying to go extra script. hard so you can get that extra look. You know? Did you get it? No, the camera wasn't on. <laughs> it's that. It's also, there's a lot of pressure. The machine is very intimidating. Uh, you got 400 people standing around. You got millions of dollars of equipment. You got big movie stars. You got all this shit. Yeah, they're <laughs> wanting you to, like, have the best take you can get. Yeah, it'd be worse to do, like, a little pussy take. Everybody's kind of like... <laughs> Uh, Well, then they have to reset everything, and that's time. It is. And so if you're doing something that's at 80% of your skill threshold, then you're not going to be super amped up in the fact that you're doing a stunt that you are not sure you are physically capable of doing. Yeah. Whereas if you're like, okay, I could do this stunt a million times, then that part of it's cool, and then you can deal with all the other bullshit of, like, the crew and the cast and the cameras and all that shit. Yeah. But if you're up 90-plus percent of your skills. Right. Then you're also dealing with the pressure of the machine. Of yeah. Them. And that's how people get really hurt. Yeah. Because they're doing stuff that's way too close to the threshold of their overall skills. And then some people don't know where their skills are because, you know, they've gotten too many participation trophies or something. That's true. I showed up. <laughs> yeah, they do stunts that they are not capable of doing and it's no good. So, Nick, what's your opinion of what happened on the Rust set? That had to have hit somewhat close to home for you, you being in that industry, right? Was it an accident or a political assassination? (laughs) It was definitely an accident, but it was fuckery from top to bottom. Top to bottom. Like the whole production on that It's all fuckery. Top to bottom. Top to bottom. 100%. Because it's like... Real bullet came from somewhere. One, it's like, this is a low-budget movie. I I don't know. This is all speculation. Give us your take. On a low-budget movie like that, in order for it to get funded, they have to have a big movie star. And he's coming in as probably is an executive producer in that, so he's getting points, but he's also the lion's share of the money of this movie. So if this movie was a $5 million movie, and I have no idea what the budget was, but I know it was relatively low, he might be sucking up half that budget. For himself. As, just, as, yeah, yeah, just because he's so amazing. Um, <laughs> and, um, and, and that's the only way the movie can get distributed, is by having this big movie star in it. Right, that's the so, anchor that's going to pull people in. Right. And, and he probably has some pretty hefty demands based on how amazing he is. Because, you know, like a peasant. His rider. Well, yeah, exactly. Like a peasant class film worker basically works from when they say to go to work to when they say to stop. Whereas the elites will have rules. Like, I'm only willing to work from this time to this time and do this to this. You know, and they can do that because they're important. But when they do that, the entire rest of the movie crew has to shuffle around and do all kinds of 
crazy stuff and bend over backwards and to meet those yeah. terms. And, and sometimes you have people working 30, 40 hours without a break mm. um, in order to make it. So some elite movie star guy doesn't, you know, have to work more than four hours that day. Right. Cause you know, his private jet's gonna, you know, it's going to explode if he doesn't leave at three. And I don't know if that's the case on this particular movie, but I've been on movies where corners have been cut where, well, everybody is left kind of holding the bag. So this, elite millionaire can get, you know, can get their nails done at the time they want to get their nails done um, right. or some kind of chicanery like that. Right. So do you have that? There's a union that controls props and armory. And I believe that for whatever reason, they had opted not to use this union, uh, a budget concern. There's no reason not to use the union other than just being cheap. I believe that the woman who was in charge of props and firearms and I don't know if she was a prop master in armor or what, what her specific title was, but I don't believe her resume supported her doing this movie, but I do believe her father's resume did. Mm. The film industry is an industry where a lot of people get their skills through bloodline. Mm -hmm. You know, that makes sense. It's, so because she had a father that worked as an armor. That or, would make her an armor. Right. It's kind of like if your dad's a brain surgeon, you don't have to go to medical school. You just become a brain surgeon. Mm. Cause yeah. Yeah. A brain surgeon. yeah. Same, same. Yeah. That's how the yeah, yeah. industry functions. Yeah. Okay. So at yeah. 18, you know, we'll, we'll you know. So if my dad was a pimp and had lots of hoes, that would make me a pimp with lots of hoes. That's right. Indeed. So You would inherit so, the hoes. Yeah. So that, that I'm tends a hoe to be, inherent. <laughs> and, I, and I believe she was uh, in this kind of a thing where her father was some sort of a armorer guy with some with a pretty good resume. And they decided to give her this, this job that she was woefully underqualified for woefully and um and then you have that kind of with this crew that um from what i've heard was stretched pretty thin um as far as work hours and working conditions to kind of meet the needs of this low budget production um i had heard that some of the people from the camera department had already walked because they felt like the set was unsafe and they were rushing things and kind of overworking everybody um mm. And allegedly, they were out playing with real bullets in the gun the night before, which the Screen Actors Guild actually has pretty specific rules about firearms on set, as does IATSE, which would be the union in control of most props. And all of those rules were disobeyed Shit. from top to bottom. Yeah. So typically, if a firearm has ever had real bullets in it, it categorically excludes it from being used on a movie. Dude, that's what I was saying. I mean, I was saying stuff like that. I was like, wait a minute, what? Because I was in the Army for a little while. Yeah. And so firearm control, there's very simple rules, very simple stuff. Yeah, it's like you if know, it's ever been used to shoot real bullets, you can't use it. Can't even use it. But we do use real guns a lot. But right. um, And some of the guns are capable of shooting real projectiles, and some are not. It depends on yeah. how the gun's been modified. But generally speaking, it's not supposed to have ever fired a real bullet. Right. Gotcha. Um, there's never any live rounds. And then we don't allow live rounds on set ever under any circumstances. Right, they shouldn't even be there. Correct. And let's say you have this prop gun that is a, a real firearm. So let's, let's call it, let's say, an AR-15, because that's the big scary one. Um, so we have an AR-15 on a movie set. It's unloaded, and it's never had a real projectile in it. And it does, and it has a OEM, you know, two twenty three barrel or five five six barrel, so it can fire a projectile. Then, if it's going to have blanks in it, 
someone will come up with the blanks and be like, see, look, these are blanks. And we'll all look at them and it's, they've got the crimped head of a blank. And then they'll load them in the magazine. And then the first AD, the key grip, the stunt coordinator, various people like this will all look at it. We'll all agree. Like, oh, look at that. <laughs> blanks. Right. This is an AR-15. Look. And then we'll shine a laser down the barrel so you can see the light. Right. Get reaching the action so you can be like, okay, there's nothing in it. In the barrel, there's no debris, blah, blah, blah. They'll call rolling, and then right before they call action, they load the weapon, say hot weapon on set. They'll rack it, give it to the person. You do your sequence, and blah, blah, blah. In a situation where there, where you have a revolver, um, they do have dummy rounds that look like real bullets. Mm -hmm. But um, whenever we use those, all the bullets are out of the gun when you get it. Right. So you get it, and you look, and they look at them. The, the primers are gone out of the back of them. And if you shake them, they have like a BB in it. So they, they go ding, 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 ding when you shake it. And we shake all of them. It takes, a, you know, 30 seconds. And then they load them right then and there. Then after they load them, they go click, 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 all through all six rounds to make sure that none of them work. Then at that point, they hand the firearm to the, um, to the actor or the stunt double. This is done on every set. I've never been on a movie set where it's not done. I've never been on a movie set where this is not very serious business. So the fact that Alex, a movie star, he's been around, he should have known. In my opinion, he should have known. There's no excuse for him not knowing. No excuse. It's not like he's a day player. No. This is his job. He is a movie star. It is his job to do this. And when you pick up a firearm, you're responsible for whatever happens next. Yeah. And and so he should have done that. The first AD should have made sure that the key grip stunt coordinator that everybody should have looked at this thing. The prop master should have done it. The producer should have hired a prop master with the resume. They should have gone union and had an IATSE person there anyway. So it's just a failure from pre-production where they hired the wrong person and didn't do it through a union right all the way to the end where the guy who gets the gun didn't properly safety the weapon right it's uh, a tragedy nonetheless the whole thing's a tragedy but it was a failure from top to bottom hey nick thank you so much for joining us on the man fuse podcast we'd love to have you back on again oh, for sure. yeah we could just keep going yeah we really could uh and i hate to cut it off but uh, maybe next time we'll do it in, in the Man-fused HQ. Yeah, yeah. You can come over to my crib. Um, join the show by hitting us up at manfused.com, or you can call 770-744-5227. Thanks for listening. And, Nick, we will post all your info on our episode description, and hopefully you can share it to your audience and people can enjoy it. It's awesome. Check out the arc of Lilburn, too.